Hello, everybody. This is Bob. And for my favorite episode, I am going all the way back to season one, episode two, which actually is the first episode that we ever released in public. Now, this is from a time when we thought y'all would like like hour and a half long Learning Geeks episodes, and we learned very quickly that you didn't. So it's really just a segment of that first episode that we released, but it's all about creativity. And it's a little self-indulgent because a lot of this is me talking, but when I was starting my re-listen of all of our old episodes, I found that this one hit me particularly in this moment. It was something that I needed to hear because I haven't been feeling very creative lately. I've been feeling a little bit of a block. Let's just put it that way. I've been feeling a little bit of a block. And what I heard in listening to this was really helpful for me in thinking through that. We, we start off, we talk about design thinking, and then we get into creativity. And here's the spoiler alert, but I want to put this in your mind before you start listening. A lot of what we come to in this is the idea that in order to be more creative, you really just need to get out of your own way. And that was a message that I need to hear right now. And if you're feeling like you need to be a little bit more creative, if you're feeling a little bit of writer's block or mental block, or you just want to be more creative and who doesn't, hopefully this will be helpful for you. So enjoy. I'd love to hear what you think. And here we go. Okay, well, listen, I'm going to pick it up and I'll actually pick up the pace here a little bit because my my thoughts today are a little bit early. It's more of a preview, but it's something that I have been curious about. And the point of curiosity is about design thinking. So a, a lot of you know, I was kind of an early adopter of design thinking. I'm a big fan of it. I really enjoy it. I've seen the value of it. But I have been recognizing, uh, I would say, not quite a backlash, but a little bit of questioning in terms of does design thinking really work or does it lead to the best solutions that we can have? And my son came back from, from his graphic design program at university and I said something about design thinking and he was like, oh, that's completely passe, dad. Like nobody does design thinking anymore. I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, whatever. But I, I still had the same question and I, I developed a theory. The theory that I'm testing out is this. I'm wondering if it's not so much, you know, the design thinking methods or the approach or the, the way that design thinking works that might lead to a dissatisfaction with the results. But I wonder if maybe when our individual people are coming into a design thinking session, that they are not quite as creative or innovative as they could be. Or, or here's another spin on that is, I wonder if we are relying on the magic of people being co-located and running through some techniques and having a whole bunch of post-it notes up on the wall and thinking that that's like the magic ticket to creative solutions when we don't necessarily have the most creative and innovative people in the room. And it's kind of a garbage in, garbage out scenario. So I'm curious as to whether that's the fact. And then what that leads to to solve that problem is how can we help our individuals get more creative, right? Because we, we know we need to be more collaborative. It's in our leadership DNA. But how do we help? How do I help you, Dana? And how do I help you, Jake, as an individual become more creative? So 
I'm starting to poke around into this and thinking about what are ways to to develop this. So I started talking to some of our colleagues at Second City Works. I've surfed a bunch of articles. I reread the book Orbiting the Giant Hairball, which is a fun book to read. If you haven't read it, check that one out. I've been talking to my good friend, Katie Burke. So shout out to Katie Burke. Um, we've kind of decided to explore this whole creativity thing together. Katie connected me with an author and her name is Tina Selig. Long story short, she's up at Stanford and she talks about creativity and, and teaches a lot. She's got several books out there. And I watched one of her TED Talks and in Tina's TED Talk, she shared a model because we love models, right? We all love a good model. <laughs> so, so her model was, was called the innovation engine. And I think she had a similar insight to what I have is in order to make innovation work, you need to think about it as an external model with an internal model. So you need to think about innovation in the group sense and then you need to think about it as individuals, like what are we each as individuals bringing to that group in order to really be innovative? And so I'm sure I'll talk about this later as I read more about it. So externally, the factors are the resources, the habitat, and the culture. And if you think about those at Accenture, we're, we're probably okay. I mean, habitat-wise, our, our office space can be cool in certain locations. It's still not in others. Uh, we're growing our culture of innovation. We're having more resources like training and design thinking and all that kind of stuff that that help build that. So we're pretty good in that aspect. But let's look at the internal aspects. Uh, we've got knowledge, we've got imagination, and we've got attitude. And I would say that at Accenture, we probably have a lot of knowledge and we have inherently creative or, or inherently curious people, which will help build knowledge. But I wonder how we are in terms of innovation and I wonder how we are in terms of attitude. And that's kind of the, the nugget that I want to drop here as we continue on. One of the aspects that kept cycling back in a lot of what I was hearing around being personally creative is how you can cripple yourself with self-limiting beliefs. And it's very similar to what I say when I talk about storytelling. And I start with the idea, hey, we're all storytellers. We know how to do it. It's wired up inside us. And you just have to tap into that. And I think there's an aspect of that to creativity, that we are all creative. And we kind of get the creativity beaten out of us through the educational system, through our experience or whatever. And it leads to uh, it leads to a really quick story I want to share. Today seems to be story day, so that's that's great. I'm all for that. But I've been taking a writing class, a short story writing class, and we were coming to the end of the term, and we had a really fun activity where we all had to fill out questionnaires, and it was things like, you know, when I write, I feel blank, or I write in this location when I really want to write well. It's all about our process. And one of the questions was, I wish my writing was more blank. So I filled that in and I said, I wish that my writing was more descriptive because I go in with the belief that when I write short stories, that my descriptive prose is really bad. Like, I feel like I'm pretty good at dialogue, but my descriptive prose around kind of setting up the scene and describing the scenery and all that is not really good. When we all went around and we read our answers, the teacher looked at me when I said that and he was like, had this crazy look on his face and he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, I just don't feel like my text is very descriptive. And he said, well, as a fan of your writing, let me tell you, your, your 
text is descriptive enough. And I, I don't remember exactly what he said because as soon as he said, I'm a fan of your writing, like <laughs> I went, oh, <laughs> yay. I am a fan. I can sell one book. Exactly. This guy, you know, he, he's got an IMDb <laughs> entry and he likes my writing. So that's really cool. But but then all of a sudden I had this aha, which is this, is when I think about me writing descriptive prose, I compare myself to J.R.R. Tolkien, right? It, it's like who, who is the master of spending 18 pages describing, you know, what the hill looked like that the elves were about to run over. I was going to say he spends he spent too much time. And sometimes well, explaining what, what like describing certain situations. Jake, that was the biggest aha for me was because all of a sudden I sat there and I realized I don't even like reading Tolkien. Like <laughs> I love the stories. I love the movies. So did I. Yep. It, it's so hard for me. To, I, I've tried reading Lord of the Rings probably 18 times and I've only got through it a couple of times because I just get bogged down in all of that prose. But that's what I think I should be doing. Because other people say that's what good writing is, is having really good descriptive prose. And here's J.R.R. Tolkien, and he's the master. And I was comparing myself to him, and it wasn't even something that I liked. That was all coming from other people. So that's what I honed in is on as one of the things that might be limiting our personal creativity is what are those beliefs that you have about yourself that aren't true? And what are those beliefs about what you should be doing. And maybe what you should be doing is not really what you think you should be doing in order to be creative. So those are my thoughts. What are your guys' reactions to that? Well, I got all sorts of ideas that, that sparked. And, you know, what, one of it is Jake mentioned earlier, the neuroscience stuff. I, I think there's a lot of the principles that we talk about as durability principles that actually apply to creativity. For example, the whole aspect of being generative is creating something new, right? It's creating something that's your own. And um, so I think there's probably a lot we can learn or transfer from what we know about brain science that will facilitate that that type of creativity. I think back early on, when you first started talking about this, Bob, I thought back to one of my first days of working at Accenture. At that time, it was Arthur Anderson and company. And I walked into a manager's office and here's this big, it's a three foot by four foot chart that has all sorts of small boxes. I had to actually, you know, put my nose close to it to read the text in it. And the the funny thing about it, it was the the creativity methodology, right? Which you think about it, and, and it's so, I mean, it's it's very much an oxymoron because here you have this creativity. Here's exactly how you do it, lockstep, right? I, I'm sure there are some magic parts to it, but it was not found in this in this large creativity methodology. But I have wondered, I have wondered if there there could be some type of creativity or curiosity curriculum that we mm -hmm. could build out, right? And it might be in part thinking about what are some of the durability principles. But as we've done some of the research on extreme learners and uh, the, the smart learner stuff that Jake's been doing, you know, one of the things we're always finding is that these folks really, the people who are really applying smart learning principles, the people who are um, really extreme in their learning, have a, a natural curiosity and they figured out how to feed that. And that natural curiosity feeds into, into creativity and making connections that us commoners have a hard time making. So to go back to your design thinking point, mm -hmm. um, I've been struggling with this myself. And I think it, I'm, I'm pretty confident this came out of the D school, some research that they're collaborating with, uh, which makes sense. 
is that, I mean, if you think of this situation, a lot of the des- quote unquote design thinking sessions that we do, most of the times they're, we're trying to ideate, right? Brainstorm. Um, I know there's more into it that other groups do, but the research that they did is said that when we try to tell people the, just the, the idea of saying, let's be creative, just saying that puts us into a limited mindset. It actually makes us less creative because we're forcing ourselves to be creative. And I think of that personally all the time. I feel like I'm most creative when I'm, I step away, when I actually yeah. am reflecting a little bit more about what I, if I heard something or read something or, you know, just had a good, interesting discussion, I'm, I'm, I'm better at coming up with things kind of in a in a different area rather than a, a, a segment or space that we say let's be creative because i i do when I, I get together a lot of us three on this call i know we get we bring in to come into a lot of calls and say okay we got the creative minds let's go think like as if we have all these ideas but the thing <laughs> yeah. it, it puts it, it kind of it, it from that science what they're saying is that it it stops you it, it like you hang up and that's that's what that's what it is so Jake, that reminds me of a story. So in, in high school, I, I have I have what I consider a situational sense of humor. So I'll look at a situation, I'll find funny things in it. And and I was so graduated from high school. And then I came back after first couple of years of college, visited with one of my buddies that I used to hang out with all the time. And, and we went out with some of his friends and he said, yeah, this is my friend, Dana. He's one of the funniest guys I know. Say something funny, Dana. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, right. So it's kind of like, yeah, exactly. I was like, duh. And everybody's looking at it. Yeah, this guy's really funny. <laughs> but it's like, I, I think it's, it, it's emphasizes the point that you just made, right? If you say, okay, time to be creative, be creative. And sometimes we do that, you know, Bob, tying back to your initial thought. Sometimes we do that in design thinking. It's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've got three minutes to get out all of the brilliant ideas in your head. It's like, oh, pressure's on. Well, when pressure's on, sometimes that's not the time we're most right. creative. So one other thing that came to mind when you're talking about how, you know, when we're young, you know, we're often really creative. The, the, the thought came to mind is, you know, if you have imaginary friends when you're little, when you're a kid, it's really cute. Everybody goes, oh, look, he's playing with someone, you know, imagine. But if you have an imaginary friend when you're grown up, they lock you up. Right. You're crazy. That's why I don't talk about anymore. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, you, we, we, I mean, we kind of lose our, well, I don't just say lose our creativity, but we're kind of told not to in certain aspects because you see, you see your kid and you're like, man. It's just what they think of. It's crazy. Fantastic. And thanks to everybody. Thanks to our patron saint, Allison Horn. And thanks as always to you. Let's cue up the closing music. Thanks to our listeners, you. And please give us your feedback on this podcast. We're having fun doing it, so we're going to keep doing it. But if you're getting anything out of it, let us know. And things you'd like to see would be great. So on behalf of Dana Koch, Jake Gittleson, and myself, Bob Gerard, take it easy. Always be learning, always be teaching. We'll see you next time.